Can you heal from abuse? What do I do after leaving my narcissist? What does a healthy relationship look like? These concerns cross the minds of over 20 people every minute, over 28,800 people every day. And the sad fact is, we still don't talk about it enough. Healing from emotional abuse isn't a band-aid situation, but it doesn't have to take years either. The lives of millions of other survivors around the world have been impacted by their narcissist. Yours doesn't have to. To show you how to live a free, confident, and peaceful life, your host and founder of the Healing from Emotional Abuse philosophy, Marissa F. Cohen. Hey everyone, welcome back to Breaking Through Our Silence, the podcast. For the last few weeks, I've brought on survivors of sexual assault to talk to us about a little bit about what they went through and also how they healed and advice that they have for other survivors. I think it's really important to share our stories, hence the Breaking Through Our Silence podcast, Breaking Through the Silence, my book series. I just think that the most important step and the first step towards healing is speaking about it. So if I can find as many voices to share their stories as I can, The hope is it'll empower other survivors who are still silenced to break their silence and feel empowered and strong about talking about it. It'll empower other survivors to speak out and tell their story. I just want you to know that you're not alone. And every person that's come on this podcast this month and shared their story has shared the same goal. We all just want survivors to be unsilenced, to break through that barrier and know that you are never alone and you have millions of other people who have a shared experience with you to help you through it. This is our last episode for Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And last but not least, I wanted to introduce one of my dear friends, Amy. Amy is a champion. She was abused when she was a child and has overcome so much adversity in relation to that and morphed into this powerhouse advocate. I'm so honored to bring her on here. She's worked in several capacities with military and civilians, and she continues every single day to fight for and advocate for survivors around the world. Thank you so much for being here, Amy. I'm so excited. Well, thank you for having me. Of course. Would you mind telling us whatever you're comfortable with about your truth, about what happened to you? Well, you know, it's a very... um, young old teenager right so we're always like 14 going on 21 and my friend and I had this really great plan that we were going to go to this party where we had met these younger soldiers and they had invited us to a, a party and so we went and I really liked this one boy I mean he was of course man but I looked at him kind of the same as me and he kissed me and I really liked it and then he wanted to to kiss somewhere else in a more private area. And so I went with him because he was really nice and handsome. And when I told him to stop, um, he wouldn't stop. And when I told him that he, I was a virgin and started crying, he was like, no, you're not. Even afterwards, like he walked me part of the way home. And then I got caught for being out past curfew. And then when they looked at me, they they saw what had happened. And, you know, it was just kind of an out of body experience. And almost like the trauma that it caused on my family was more than actually the assault. Um, And then some other things happened after that, because I started acting out. Maybe we'll get into that part another time. But I think, 
you know, he actually tried to make it seem like I was his girlfriend afterwards. I mean, I think that was one of the most bizarre things. So there was this like mental fight in my head about me crying to him and telling him no and saying that I was a virgin and then afterwards him acting like he really cared about me. So that really started a a bad self-image and acting out as a teenager. So (laughs) I think that that um, really placed me on on a path that I didn't even understand that I was on until I became an adult. And I don't think people really understand that when people are traumatized like that, that they internalize a lot of things and begin to have behaviors that seem counterintuitive of someone that you would house them people think that you would act as a victim of, of rape, right? A hundred percent. I was more comfortable in combative relationships where I didn't feel valued. And actually pushed away more healthy people because I didn't feel like I deserved that. And I, I think that's something that a lot of people deal with when they have been traumatized and haven't been able to have that cognitive behavioral therapy to understand that it's really not about any of your behaviors. So for me, you know, working with clients now, when the general populace says, oh, what were they doing? Or, you know, there, there's things that people can do, men and women, to avoid being sexually assaulted. It's a really huge trigger for me, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, should there be an expectation if you and your friend meet a bunch of handsome young men within your age bracket, they were adults, but we weren't, but you still, you know, you, as, as a young adult, you don't see a 19, 20 year old as being that much different as you, as like, I was almost, it was like right before my 15th birthday and my friend was 16. Right. So we felt we were that age too, even though we, we didn't understand like emotionally maturity wise, we weren't, but in your teenage narcissistic brain, you don't see it that way. (laughs) And I want to go back to something because you brushed, you brushed over something that I, I wanted to definitely comment on. A lot of people, especially if you were assaulted as like a teenager or a young adult, when you're still kind of trying to find yourself, you lose that control, that control of your body. And a lot mm-hmm. of times, very often, people will take that lesson as, well, if people are going to use me like this anyways, if my body's only good for sex then I want to at least be in control of it. And even, even if those aren't the words that are said, that creates this like expectation that your body is an item or an object and then causes a lot of like promiscuity. Oh, 100%. Acting out in that way. Absolutely. Because you feel like that's the only, I think it's, it's more complicated than, than just the promiscuity. It's a real sick, twisted kind of, like you want to be loved so bad, but yet you want to be in control, but you only get attention and it's negative attention. It, it compounds, right? So any attention is better than no attention. Right. And the negative attention is easier to get. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's, you're right. It's easier to get and it takes less time and energy for mm-hmm. a young woman. All you have to do is, you know, wear a tank top in school and all the boys are looking at your shoulders and you know, it's, it's such a double standard. Uh-huh. Well, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy too, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going for. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's like the like the cycle of violence right and it's what society feeds off of and continues the victim blaming cycle right because because you as a victim are actually trying to take control of your life but then you're projecting this other image which makes people feel like you are not a victim right and that goes back to what society paints as the perfect victim if you're not a young girl hysterically crying then you're not a real victim you know and there's that double standard well and you and you take my situation for example i was 14 i was a virgin right but i had snuck out of the house and i had drank a bartles and james peach wine cooler and you know i was out past curfew so they took all of those into account and made it to be like somehow my responsibility. Right. Even though and, you're a child and legally yeah. you're even allowed to consent depending on the state. Well, I, I was not at an age of consent at all. And there was actually adults that if you think about it, it was a drug facility and sexual assault. You had a 14 year old girl that was being fed wine coolers and an innocent kiss led it to a sexual assault. Right. That is, by definition, the number one rape scenario in the world. How did people respond when uh, your family was going through it? Did you speak about it at all? Yeah, well, I mean, it was, well, she was wearing short shorts and a tank top, and she was at the party, and she was drinking, and she lied. It was all about my behavior. And not about the fact that somebody took advantage of you as a child. Right. And I think still to this day, there's some issue with, you know, our family was sent to a different location away from my dad because he had a job to do and he couldn't, you know, there was this this whole, like, your family can't be managed in this environment, right? Oh my God. So they forced you guys, were you living on a base? Yeah. So we were sent back stateside which is a very normal response for the military that's disgusting so instead of being the person who who actually abused you our family was separated that's disgusting are you okay oh yeah it's actually allergies i'm not crying okay (laughs) (laughs) not right now i might cry you know it's it's weird because you know sometimes i do get upset about it but more often my response is i'm at a place where it gives me drive, right? Mm-hmm. So when, when I talk about it triggers me when people talk about victims' behaviors and things like that, I, I'm just like, well, you you think for some reason that that individual wouldn't have found another vulnerable person to take advantage of and victimize? Right. If they're going to abuse somebody, it's not always about who. You know, it's a matter of, needing to control or have power over someone. It's air and opportunity, right? It's access. Right. It's the same dynamic as why I'm fundamentally against people telling their children to give relatives or friends, oh, give so-and-so a hug. Tell give them a hug goodbye or kiss so-and-so on the cheek. Tell them thank you. No, quit telling people that we owe them some kind of physical affection for approval. I agree. not appropriate yeah you don't know the situation you don't know what the child has to know that they are in control of their body and if they are uncomfortable hugging somebody or giving someone a kiss that they do not have to i absolutely agree especially i mean (laughs) you know somehow this 
kind of legalized prostitution that we have established in the dating world. That somehow a level of doting or flattery or the level of expenditure for a date somehow equates to some kind of physical repayment. It's called manipulation. You know, that's why I am fundamentally against the word friend zone. You know, you're not getting friend zoned because you were nice to somebody and they're not interested in you sexually. You were being a friend and having an ulterior motive on that friendship is a manipulation of the friendship and of the person. And if you think about it like this, why can't I just want to have sex with somebody just because I feel like it? You know, why should I be obligated because you took me to Smith and Walensky's to an expensive dinner and then drinks on the rooftop at a, at a ritzy bottle service. So now I owe you oral sex or maybe like I'm just having fun with you and we could have had a picnic in the park and went to your rooftop private deck and I would just felt like giving you oral sex. Like it does, it shouldn't matter. There shouldn't be an expectation of economic output somehow gives you sexually <laughs> a, a physical yeah, like, why don't we just start doing it dollar for dollar? Like, if it's possible. You know, I mean, I, I don't I don't know for you, like, if as, as a woman you've ever experienced someone being like, well, you paid $150 for dinner. We had a, a $75 bar tab. So now you're up to $225, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you think that my vagina is worth $225? That's not nearly enough. Right? So, I mean, if we're going to have an equitable exchange, escorts that don't even give any kind of sexual pleasure at the end of the night make more money than that. So, if you just wanted someone to sit there and be pretty, we're going to have to reevaluate this. I'm saying, like, this is an issue, right? But it, it yields to all these other social issues that somehow if somebody's nice to you, you owe them something. Right. Why can't you just say thank you? And be appreciative and, and let something build and grow. Yeah. Become something organically. Right. And that's what it, that's what it should be. But I think that, I don't know, people become so greedy and they value their money more than they value your ability to make decisions for yourself. I don't owe anybody anything. Nobody owes anyone anything. Not sex, not your body, not nothing, unless it's agreed upon. Right. But those, those thought processes yield to the same rape culture, right? It's like why people don't have any kind of, um, I don't know if anger is the right word I want to use, you know, why people aren't up. Okay. So if, if a child is sexually abused, right, people are out of control up in arms, right? So if I'm married for 10 years and my husband gets drunk and comes home and flaps me around a little bit, not enough to bruise me up, just kind of reds my, my cheeks a little bit, and then then rapes me. People really don't get excited about that. They don't right. seem to, to, to have this, that that is the same type of trauma. When it is, when it's someone you know, love, and trust, it's kind of like, well, you've had sex with him, like, oh, I don't know, over the course, course of how many years, whatever, once a month, times 12, times 10, so whatever, I, I'm just throwing out numbers. So you've had sex with him, at least 120 times a year. So what's, what's the problem with this time? It's kind of how it's looked at, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. You got it on you. You've been giving it to him anyway. So why are you so upset now? 
all of these thought process continues to perpetuate this, the same thing. Why are rapes going up in our society? Because we don't address rape culture the right way. We paint a perfect victim. And if you don't sit in that perfect victim's exact identity, you're not a victim. And I mean, and I'm not saying this is a thing. I'm just kind of throwing a thought. Is it because women are generally being and empowering themselves in the workplace and taking on different roles? And so the best way to reduce and take away our power is to sexually harass us or take our power away by physically assaulting us with rape? I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. I think it's also just a power struggle. If you go back to the Viking culture, like Viking women used to run the show. I didn't know and that. And then they, 100%, they did. They picked the men that were the strongest to, to have children with so that their children would survive in their, their rough surroundings and culture and all of these things. And then they started being overpowered and they became victims of rape and then the power balance changed. That's so interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I find as, as a professional woman, thank God as a professional woman, I have done my best to protect myself and haven't been like actually raped, but I have been sexually assaulted via rear end grabs. You know, you don't even think about it because someone grabbed your rear end. Like that isn't, it's not the, the same level of trauma, but it is the same level of, I don't really give a shit about you. But what I have experienced quite frequently is when they can't attack my character or my ability or my professionalism, they somehow figure out a way to say that I, my clothes are somehow too attractive. Too small or, you know, make comments about your body. They do that to me. They used to do that to me all the time. Right. To the point where like I started wearing turtlenecks to, to work. One of my friends is like, well, you know, I'm not making excuses for her, but you know, she's fallen into that same, like would rather protect herself than go against screen. She's like, well, Amy, you know, you shouldn't have gotten a boob job and you wouldn't have so much attention. I'm like, these are mine. Even if I did get a boob job, that, 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 that like it has no bearing. But her, her little, and she's like, because even with turtlenecks, you can't hide them. I'm like, well, I can't do anything with them because this is how God made my body. And so what, what if I would have gotten a boob job? What's the big deal? Right. It's and she not- was right. It didn't matter if I was wearing a sweater or a turtleneck or a V-neck or a dress or a sweater dress or a Michael Kors dress or whatever. There's certain things. It's just what it is. And somehow I'm responsible for, for you taking like staring at me and trying to take my power by saying there's something about my body that makes me less valuable at work I don't understand that it's disgusting and it's just a means to silence women and silence people by making them feel inferior in their bodies it's not your fault that you were born with boobs you know, it's and it's not your fault if you buy boobs you know if you have a choice <laughs> you make you can't control anyone else's behavior because you did something for you that's not your problem that is the offender's problem always they're the ones that make the but choice. sometimes it's not it's not even the offender sometimes it's not even the offender that is the worst issue 
other people's opinions like perpetuate culture yeah i'm like you guys are helping the rapist yo (laughs) what's going on here people who perpetuate rape culture encourage rapists you're a hundred percent on point we yeah we make it so easy for them because we're already telling people that they shouldn't be who they are in their bodies and we're telling people they shouldn't wear certain things and if i'm comfortable wearing booty shorts and a tank top to a party and i want to that does not mean somebody gets to touch or comment or take any part of my body that is not theirs it is still my body well i'll tell you an interesting phenomenon i have never in all of my life the safest i felt in my body is being at a nude beach. Really? Like I didn't, yes. Like I didn't feel ogled. I wasn't stared at. I wasn't hit on. I was just left alone to be in my own body in my own safe space and enjoy all the vitamin D to every part of my parts. <laughs> I feel like that's because everyone's in the same vulnerable place. If, if you even feel vulnerable, you know, in your body or naked, but everyone is showing all they've got. You know, so what makes you so different from everyone else, I guess. Exactly. Well, and I think there's also hard rules of no cameras, no sexual behavior, you know, all of these things. There's no creep under a tent or under an umbrella with a big hat, you know, taking secret pictures of people. That makes sense. And other cultures, like other countries, are very cavalier about nude beaches. I think America has a big problem with nudity, um, whereas other countries have a big problem with the violence we portray in our media. We have a big problem with the way that they are more sexually open or aware. Even being working in rape crisis, working with child sexual assault, if you are against a rape culture that somehow you are a man hating sexist feminist right and that you don't enjoy sex that all men are bad that you don't like men and you hate sex and that is completely and that you should be some kind of nun (laughs) it's strange not liking rape does not mean you don't like sex well, rape and they are not are. the same thing. Exactly. That's what I was just about to say. Like, I needed to get it through people's thick skulls. Rape crisis counselors and people that intervene in rape situations and help people get the help they need so they can get their power back do not hate men and do not hate sex. I've never heard that one, but I appreciate you bringing that up. I want to put this out as a public service announcement for men and women, regardless of who you like to have the sex with. If you are respectful of people's bodies, if you are respectful of their time and space and where they're at emotionally, and you give them love and honesty, they will want to make love to you if they're attracted to you. Because our bodies are built to want to have sexual pleasure. You know, we are one of the only other mammals in the world that have sex for pleasure. We're supposed to like it. It's supposed to be enjoyable. It's healthy for you. It's healthy to have orgasms, to release those endorphins. It's healthy to share that intimacy with somebody that you trust. All of that is healthy. What is not healthy 
is taking somebody's body for your own pleasure and abusing them and hurting them. Absolutely. Thank you for that PSA. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> so what are you doing? So we know you work in rape crisis. What do you do? What are you doing? What projects are you working on? So right now we've, we've had a lot of forward movement and being more educated in child sexual abuse and cycles of violence in families um, with pedophilia. And we've been more spoken out about rape situations and, and things like that. But unfortunately, from my perspective as a professional, we have gone away from like the grassroots of actually helping the people that have been traumatized to spending millions of dollars on these overarching organizations that kind of leave, you know, the victims at, at the wayside and don't get to the root of the problem and take the initial crisis and don't follow that person through to, to the end state. Also working within the confines that, you know, money has become an issue and there's been a lot of abuse of power where people haven't been able to get the help that they need because they're stuck in these organizations that have a very structured hierarchy and giving people an alternative source to find that help outside of those confines. I don't know if that makes sense or not. No, it does. When I used to work for the military, one of the things that I would do is help people that were sexually assaulted, either on deployment or not. And I would very seldom connect them to people military related. And I would right. outsource to other, other resources, to therapists and programs that were not related to the military because the way the military handled it was so regimented and truly like incorrect. It wasn't in good conscience. I couldn't in good conscience relate them to like the VA who I know is not going to help them or to their commander who I knew was not going to help them. Well, I think help looks different, right? Say for example, that I work at McDonald's, right? And I need this job to take care of my family. And I've worked there maybe nine months. And the, and the shift supervisor has worked there, I don't know, 10 years. And his friend, and this is a franchise McDonald's, and he's friends with the owner, right? And the manager. And I become sexually assaulted. And then it becomes the owner of the McDonald's right, absolute right, undeniable like they have carte blanche authority over whether their shift leader that gives them the most returns the most capital the largest producing revenue that owner gets to decide whether that shift leader that raped me gets a slap on the hand or actually punished how well do you think that that works Probably not well. I'm pretty sure that you, the employee, are expendable and the person they've had this relationship with is easier to believe because they quote unquote know them better. And they are equitable for them, right? Mm -hmm. And then my other colleagues that also work for this same shift leader, well, that shift leader all gives them all the best like shifts, 
I'm another single mother that works there. And that shift leader knows that I have to be off on Mondays because my kid has speech therapy. And they always make, whether I have to work on Mondays or not, they always make arrangements for me that I always am off to go take my child to speech therapy. Am I going to retaliate against you that are going to jack up my way of life? Am I going to side with the shift leader? Am I going am, am to support my colleague? That's a really good analogy. It's a great way to put it. You're right, because there are so many sides to the stories and so many people being affected that we kind of lose sight of the one important factor, and that's safety. And there's no oversight, right? Right. So as the owner of McDonald's, I can be like, well, you know, in order to protect my product, to protect my brand, then none of the things that we're doing to punish the shift leader is releasable to the public. Now, let me ask you, let's see, let's pick a town. I don't know, just say Boulder, Colorado, right? Okay. And that McDonald's owner owns 10 stores, right? That shift leader then gets promoted after they rape the one person. And we don't know what happened to them because it might leak our French fry recipe out, right? <laughs> so then that shift leader gets promoted to be the regional shift leader. And they rape two more people and they keep their job. And then they rape five more people. So now we're up to eight people sexually assaulted by one person, one shift leader. But he makes a lot of money. He does a good job for that McDonald's in Boulder. And this is like a scenario. There's no such thing didn't happen in Boulder. Like, (laughs) I'll just give that caveat. (laughs) This is a made up scenario. And that eighth person that gets sexually assaulted finds out that back in the day, there was a number one rape victim. They got screwed over. And they call that person and be like, you know what? I'm sorry that happened to you too. You know, I know I'm the eighth person you've done this to. What the hell? Then the first and the eighth person decides to go outside of that McDonald's hierarchy. And they go to the press and the press is like, holy shit. Now, what do you think the community in Boulder, Colorado would say to that? They'd get really mad that they allowed, I hope, I hope they'd get really mad that that McDonald's owner allowed that person to go on a raping spree. I mean, I I hope. I I think that they would um, boycott that McDonald's because they're allowing people to be raped in order to make money. They're To protect their brand. Exactly. The economic value. What's the economic value of a person? The monetary value of a human being. So you, you take that scenario and you feed it into the overarching hierarchy of the military who, who does have the power to say, you can't know about that because it might affect national security. Where does that leave somebody, especially service members that still cannot utilize a lot of our other given rights because of the Ferris Doctrine? What's that? That says that service members can't sue the military for damages. They're not allowed to sue at all? They can't. There's a caveat right now for medical malpractice, but it's very, very narrow. Hmm. So the military can allow someone to hurt you. You can transfer them. They can mistreat you. They can gaslight you, transfer you wherever they want. They can take away your rights and privileges as a service member, which most, most of the time are what, you know, hold you, give you value. 
is your ability to, you know, have a gun and your ability to defend. They took both of those things away from you and you can't sue them for any of it. You can't retaliate for any of it. You can't protect yourself. I can tell you, I've talked to, to many, many service members, active and retired and, and medically discharged, that they were told to suck it up. I believe the term that I heard a lot was unfuck yourself. That's another term that they use quite frequently. But, you know, and <laughs> I want to make it like very clear. It depends on who's in charge, right? Like not all owners of McDonald's, not all leaders in the military are bad. But when everything relies on that person's good or bad decision making and there's no oversight, where do you have it? I don't think that the general public also knows that a, a commander in the military can decide to accept a level of risk, right? Mm-hmm. It's their decision. And they can be advised, but nobody has, there's no force function. That's a lot of power for one person. It is. And then you add in the, the cloak of we can't be transparent because of national security. There is nothing about somebody being raped or sexually assaulted that has an adverse effect on national security. The one thing that would have adverse effect on national security is rapists being allowed to continue to rape people, especially in a deployed environment. How mission ready do you think your soldiers, men and women, service members, sailors, airmen, how well do you think they're going to be able to carry out their mission to protect our freedom if they're worried that somebody's going to sexually assault them? And oh, by the way, if you say anything, you need to figure it out yourself. So what can we as advocates and the public do to help service members feel more powerful or to feel more protected? Like, how can we help? And that's part of what we're working to establish is that, yes, you're service members. And yes, you have different confines because you are. But there, there are certain things that can't be taken away from you, right? If you're a victim of a violent crime, you have, there are federal victim crime rights that have to be upheld by the military as well as in civilian world. And those things are not being held to standard. You have a, a, a right to be reasonably heard. You have a right to be conferred with. You know, and some people get confused about what that means. If, if I'm a victim of sexual assault, I have the right to talk to the person that's adjudicating that crime. So I get to have my say in court. I get to say, regardless of how they dispose of it, you know, whether, you know, it goes to a court process or not, I, as a victim, get to say, because this person did this to me, it adversely affected my life this way, this way, and this way. Like, I get to say that. I get to be informed of the proceedings. Very, very simple, transparent things that are not occurring. And aren't a risk to public safety. No. Hmm. And there is no force function when it doesn't happen. Okay, so they didn't do it. So what? Right. Well, the same people that have the ability to fix it are the same people that are not 
doing the things that they're supposed to that's been in federal law since the Reagan administration. So what can, what can we do to support service members going through this? Well, I think that they need to know that there is military advocacy available, but there's also other nonprofits that are also federally funded that they can get services through that know what their rights are. If the same owner of McDonald's is like, okay, well, this person I hired to be your advocate. Okay, how comfortable are you going to feel going to that person knowing that the, the same guy or gal that's paying the paycheck of your rapist is also paying the paycheck of your advocate? It just seems like a conflict of interest. It's an exact conflict of interest. Right. Where did the loyalty lie? JAGs aren't going to go against the military because that's who pays them. It makes sense. They're not going to bite the hand that feeds them. The legislation came up with this beautiful thing because during Article 32 hearings, which is basically like a grand jury indictment, they were violating victims' rights all over the place. Every person that 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 person had ever had any kind of sexual contact with or any kind of flaw as it would be seen in their personality, which I don't think it's a flaw to go to behavioral health, but they were using those things, right, as flaws. Like, this person's crazy, and they have sex with everybody, and blah, blah, blah. And so it was brought up to, you know, Congress, and they're like, okay, well, we're going to enact this law through the National Defense Authorization Act that these folks get their own lawyers, which are like, if you're familiar with any kind of civilian court processes or, you know, anything that with child protection, it's like a guardian ad litem, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's supposed to be just for that person, except for the person <laughs> that rates that lawyer or gives them their performance employment evaluations for promotions and whatnot is the same lawyer that the JAG, the Judge Advocate General, for the commander that decides whether to prosecute their case or not. And then let's add another little addition to that. That same lawyer that is supposed to protect the rights of victims and they do the best job that they can given, there's, there's a saying in the military, never take on what your rank can handle, right? Right. So if you know anything about rank structure, so you got captain, then you have major, lieutenant colonel, Fulberg colonel, which not a lot of people make Fulberg colonel ever in their career. Then you have a one-star general and a two-star general, right? Mm -hmm. So there are five ranks in between that captain who is that victim's lawyer. And you're a captain for about seven years. You're a major for about three years. Lieutenant colonel, four to five. Colonel, three to four, depending. So the, you have rank and experience on top of it, right? So you're usually in your 50s before you become a general. So you not only have five ranks on top of me, but you have probably about at least 15 to 17 years of experience that I'm fighting against. It's not a fair battle. It's like allowing a, a, a freshman to wrestle a senior out of their weight class. Yeah, it just, it seems like a losing battle. And that person is your superior. Like you can't, in, the, in a military structure, you can't disrespect somebody of a higher rank than you. There's an authority in your rank, like you said. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, never take on what your rank and authority can't handle. That, that's the, that you gave me the last part of it, right? <laughs> they're going to do the best that they can, but they're also not protected. So what we need to do is create a new system, which is what your coalition is doing, right? So what the coalition is at this juncture is an alternative advocacy group that knows the confines of the military. So any service member that reaches out to this coalition can rest assured that the military cannot press us. I love that. They can't. You can have idle threats all day long. But they can't influence it because it's not funded by the military. We don't have any military contracts. There's a lot of rape crisis organizations that have million dollar contracts with, with the Department of Defense. So if we wanted to support this coalition, how can we do that? Well, we're at our infancy right now. I think that there's more to follow on if people want to support it that we can give them some contact information and the website is in development stage right now. Right now you guys can just send us all your good love vibes (laughs) as we get it going. We're going to try to launch very soon, but we don't have like a hard date, Um, but we can do a follow on podcast and talk more about that. Of course. I will update the description when we have a more solid info, but I'll put the website and everything in the description. So if you want to learn more at a later date, you're more than welcome to go to the website, send some emails, look at the amazing work that Amy's doing with this coalition and her amazing team. And well, I think if you want to also, you can, you can add the Shadley additions as part of our coalition. Okay. So retired Major General Robert Shadley, he's part of the coalition. He has wife, Camilla, and he blogs about this stuff all the time. And he was the only commanding officer that actually conducted a proper investigation to, uh, and he wrote a book about it called The Game, Unraveling Military Sex Scandals. And he busted wide open the sex scandal that was going on in Aberdeen Proving Ground in that training environment. And he did it the right way. He says all the time, and he writes in his book, you will be more successful in the military if you commit a sexual offense than you would be if you reported one. And I think that speaks volumes. That's a really you know? strong statement. And he loves the military. There, And I want it to be very clear, there's not any of us that don't support, love, and, and cherish what you know, service members do. And we don't want to do anything that would adversely affect them. But what we do want is for people to understand that it's wrong to punish somebody for reporting their sexual assault. It's wrong. And it's not okay. It's wrong to retaliate against people who stand up for victims of sexual assault and harassment. And there is no place outside the military that gives people a venue to say, hey, this happened and it's not okay and I need help. And there's not any other organization that I'm aware of that actually provides direct client services, advocacy to people that are suffering because their sexual assaults or harassments are being mishandled. 
we love protect our defenders. We collaborate with them all the time. They are very legislation focused and we support them and we support each other. But legislation is amazing and we support all of their efforts, but every person matters and direct services to clients matters. You know, we have many families that participate in the coalition that their children have committed suicide because their, their children did not receive the support and help that they were legally allowed and had a right to have. And one child committing suicide is too much, but there are far too many young men and women killing themselves because they were so badly harassed, teased, blackmailed after they reported their sexual assault. And there's no excuse for it. And these, these families that their children have committed suicide you know, receive copies of investigations that are so highly redacted, they don't even know what on earth happened. Nowhere else in the world could people contribute to the death of your child and not be transparent with you and what people did and didn't do. That's disgusting. Thank you so much for sharing your story and for all the amazing work you're doing to help survivors in the military and outside of the military. Uh, We'll definitely do another interview when your coalition is out of the infancy phase. Yes, this is like a, like a preview. (laughs) (laughs) This is a preview. Yeah, we'll do a, we'll do a launch party. (laughs) Perfect. I will put in the description of this podcast, the date, I'll keep it up to date um, with information about our launch and uh, the website and everything. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much, Amy. If you enjoyed this podcast, you have to check out www.marissafaycohen.com backslash private dash coaching. That's www.marissafaycohen.com backslash private dash coaching. Marissa would love to develop a made for you healing plan to heal from emotional abuse. She does all the work and you just show up. Stop feeling stuck, alone, and hurt and live a free, confident, and peaceful life. Don't forget to subscribe to the Healing from Emotional Abuse podcast and follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Marissa F. Cohen and Instagram at marissa.fay.cohen. We'd love to see you there.